0: The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Hey guys, Wednesday nighters, how's it going? This side, this side, everybody again? Okay, great. Well, thanks for being here, guys. Um, We are in a series, uh, maybe we can throw that slide, you got the home home improvement slide? Yeah, so we're in a series called Home Improvement, so thanks for coming out. Um, we're, We're about three weeks deep into this one. And, uh, as you can kind of tell by the title, uh, we are trying to, um, hit at something that we've seen, um, is something that the enemy really loves to, to mess up and that's our homes and primarily our marriages, but even branching out from that, um, you know, uh, relationships between kids and parents. And, uh, we just, we just know that the enemy has it out for, uh, godly homes. He doesn't want to see, um, homes thrive. He doesn't want to see believers' marriages thrive. He knows that it's a picture of Christ and, and the church and, uh, So he's out to get them, and we've seen just uh, so much lately, just so many marriages that have been so attacked so many times that we just wanted to to give some attention and give some focus to kind of the subject of home life uh, for the believers. So we've kind of been picking a topic every night. We talked about uh, the covenant of marriage, and uh, Jeff kind of took us through uh, a whole Bible overview of all the covenants, and then really ending, culminating with the, the covenant of marriage. Uh, last week, uh, I talked about friendship within marriage, uh, and tonight we're going to talk about the subject of, of roles. Um, so, no, I got, I got some roles when I got married um, down here, but that's not what I'm talking about. I um, had to run those off uh, after, after a couple years of marriage. Talking about roles in terms of, of, of what role each person plays in the marriage, the man and the woman. So, that's going to be the subject for tonight. So, if you guys have your Bibles, open them up to the book of Genesis. Uh, easy to find. It's at the very beginning. We're going to be two places tonight. We're going to be in Genesis, and we're going to be in Ephesians. Does anybody need a Bible? And you're definitely going to want one tonight. Anybody? Bible, anyone. Yep. Okay. Anybody else? Nobody? Okay. They're up here if you want them. While you're turning to Genesis, I'm going to go ahead and pray. In fact, I'm going to ask you guys to spend just about 10 seconds. Uh, inviting God to speak to your heart tonight, engage the Lord right now, um, don't, don't wait for, for me to try to move your heart towards the Lord, would you just right now just say, God, I'm, I'm ready for you to speak, I want to hear gospel truth, I want to be transformed by the word, uh, so would you take 10 seconds, invite the Lord, and then I'll pray. Father in heaven, it's by your grace that we're here. Uh, It may not seem like a grace right now. Some of us are tired. Some of us are are sleepy. Some of us had long days, God, but it is by your grace that we are here with the body, that we get to hear your word proclaimed. And I just pray tonight, Lord, that we would approach uh, the scriptures with great admiration and great expectation, Lord, just wanting to hear from our Father, just wanting to hear the truth of your kingdom. And Lord, as we approach this subject and run after this subject of what our roles in marriage and, and how should that look and what are our roles in relationships, God, I just pray for your grace on me tonight, Lord, as this is a, a subject that is highly debated controversial. God, I just pray for grace to direct and lead me to what your truth is. I'm not interested in my opinions or anyone's opinions. Father, we want to know what truth is, and your word is truth, God. So may we examine your scriptures closely, and Lord, I just pray that grace today would win over hearts. (laughs) Lord, that your love would win over hearts, God. And by your goodness, we would be led to repentance. By your spirit, we would be made free. By the cross, we would find power tonight, Lord. And I pray all that in Jesus' mighty name. God's people said. All right. Why are we talking about roles? Uh, Is probably a good place to start. Uh, What is the purpose of of talking about this this subject? Um, This may seem obvious, uh, but God cares about the way we live our lives as Christians. Okay? That may seem obvious, uh, but a lot of us as Christians, we don't really live like that. We don't really think about that. A lot of us think about Christianity sort of as the front door experience, is when you get saved. And once you get saved, then we're just kind of waiting until heaven comes. But, but as I've said so many times before, there's this middle place, okay? this, this place that, that God is wanting to do something in your life uh, in the now. Yes, God has saved you from your former life. Yes, God is going to save you from this world and take you to heaven at one point. But for now, we're in this place, and we're in a place for for a purpose. The reason we're talking about roles tonight is because God cares about the holiness of his people. Okay, And what is holiness? Holiness really means, in its essence, is other than. When God says that he is holy, what he is saying is he's saying, I am different. I am perfect. There's there's no flaw in me. I am completely other than created things. So when God says that I want you to be holy because I am holy, what he's saying is I want you to be other because I am other. I want you to be different. Okay? One of the primary things that God calls his church to do and calls you and I as believers into is to live a life that is different. To live a life that is different remember Jesus' words, he says, you are not of this world, right? We're called to be different, and not just to be different for the sake of being different. We're not called to just be different in order to be weird or strange. We're called to be different because we now are citizens of a different place. We don't longer belong to this world. When you get saved, you are reborn, and you are reborn into another kingdom. And now we're in this kind of this great middle place where we are technically belong to God's kingdom but yet our physicality is still here in this kingdom. We're living between two worlds, so to speak. That's why Jesus said, "You are not of this world, but yet here you are a pilgrim." The reason that roles matter, the reason that marriage matters, the reason that Christian living and Christian life matters is because God left you here for a reason. He didn't just take you straight to heaven. He could have done that. He left you here for a reason, and, for, and that one of those reasons is is that he wants to illustrate just how other you are to the world. He wants the world and all of the cosmos and all of the heavens to see that you, believer, Christian, are different, that you are a representative of a new kingdom, of a new place, of a new existence, of a new world that is actually reality. And so we should. We should stand out differently. The way that we live in marriage, the way that we have roles and relationships should be different. Different than our non-saved coworkers, Different than the world. The way that we think about, approach roles should be other than. God was trying to accomplish this with Israel, wasn't he? He was trying to make a nation that would stand out in front of the backdrop of the world, a nation that would be different, a nation that did things differently. They didn't sacrifice to these pagan gods like so many others did. They didn't worship Balaam. They didn't, they didn't uh, try to appease the gods. These, 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 Israel was to be holy because God is holy. They were to be separate and different. And everything that God instructed Israel to do was very meticulously placed in order to make sure that they were different. So that they would stand out and be obviously, something's different about these people. The problem was is that Israel failed miserably at being a picture of how different God is. They failed miserably at being a representation of God's perfect kingdom. The church, you and I, are now heaven on earth. You realize that? That that we are. In this moment, and whenever we go out, when we are filled with the Spirit, when we are, are saved, we are actually walking representations and ambassadors of this other world, this other kingdom. That everything that we do, every interaction that we have should be different. It should be drawing people to see that, man, there is something different than this world. There is something greater than this world. And, and in a sense, we should be wetting the appetite of the That's why Jesus said that we are to be salt, right? We're to be salt. We're to be wetting the world's appetite for something Different. So the way that we have roles, this, the construct of roles should be very different than the world. And the world has really messed this up. It really messed this up. And we'll kind of get into why that is tonight. But where do we start in understanding God's way in regards to roles of, men's and, of men and women? The best place to start is to start with God. Okay, So that's what we're going to do. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to look at a lot of scripture tonight. This is going to be a little theology heavy in the beginning, but bear with me. I swear I'm going somewhere with this. The first thing I really want to get across to you guys tonight is that God doesn't just create things haphazardly. He does everything with purpose and with intention. And sometimes we scratch our heads and we think, you know, God, what were you thinking when you made it this way? But one of the fun things about being a believer is that you the older you get walking with Jesus, the more you realize God actually knows what he's doing. And he actually does everything for very specific reasons. And that what we're living in, again, is a fallen, twisted version of God's ultimate reality. Okay? So the first thing I really want to get at here in, in looking at Genesis 1 is that roles, okay, the, the distinct roles within marriage and within really all of humanity, roles are good. These are good things. Okay? Good things. Not a bad a bad thing. So Genesis 1.1, where do we start in understanding roles? We start with God. What is the first line of the Bible in Genesis 1.1? It says, in the beginning, what? God. Where do we start when we try to understand why we do things as humans or, or how we're put together as humans? We start with God. Well, why do we start with God? Because God was before us. Because before there was marriage, there was God. Because before there was a relationship, there was God. Because before there, there was this, this, this world that we live in, the, the horizontal place that we know, before there was all that, God existed. He has always been. So in order to understand anything about us, the way we relate to our spouse, the way we relate to each other, his friends, the way we relate to anything, on the horizontal level, we have to start with God. Okay, We have to start there. And this is, this is where our culture goes wrong, right? This is where sociologists go wrong, because they start from the bottom and try to work their way up. They say, let's study human beings and figure out how human beings are put together, and then let's come to some kind of logical conclusion about how we are to be in marriage and all of these kinds of things based off of what we see on the data. But the problem with that is they're looking at a twisted and fallen and broken version. And secondly, the problem with that is, is they don't understand its origin. As Christians, we don't start by looking around and saying, well, this has been my experience in roles in marriage. I don't really care. I mean, I care, but I don't really care, okay? It's good to talk about experiences, but as Christians, we don't start there. We don't start with, well, this is what I've seen, and this is what I've seen work, and this is what I've seen hasn't worked. No, we start with, who is God? What has God said? And so that's what we're going to do tonight, first and foremost. We're going to examine what has God said that roles are. Now, Genesis 1, verse 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And listen, the earth was without form and void. Now, the reason I want to point that out to you guys is because I want to make the point that God, not only is he for roles, but God is really for order, he's an organized God. Okay, uh, he, he's, he's not the kind of the God that, that, that just has things randomly for no reason. He doesn't just leave, you know, his socks out in the living room just because he felt like it. God is very organized and what God does when he creates this, the cosmos, when he creates earth and, and human beings is he, he makes it very structured and ordered and he, he does that by creating contrast. So he have light and you have dark, you have land and you have water. You have animals and you have humans. All of these things that that are very unique. And every single molecule that God has created has been placed with a specific purpose and a specific reason and a specific role. We learned that when we watched Lion King, right? It's the circle of life. Come on, guys, everybody. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to make you sing that. Okay, but everything has a place, right? Everything has a, a purpose. God made every blade of grass, every animal, every person with a specific and distinct role that makes this world function in the way that it does. God is very organized. He takes this formless void, and he puts things in its place because God cares about places. He cares about things being in the right place. Now, I want to point out one more thing in the first three verses here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the what? Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said. Okay, now we learn from John 1 1 that when God speaks, that actually is pointed to the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, is present here. John 1-1 tells us that Jesus is the Word of God, the Logos, and that God actually creates, God the Father, follow me here. God the Father creates through the Son. So what's really cool about Genesis 1:1 1, 1 through 3 is it's the first snapshot of God. And the first snapshot that we get of God is not singular, it's the Trinity. We see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, that's significant because God created all things to mirror something about himself. And that is that even God within his own existence has specific roles. You look at the way that they're creating, they're creating within their roles. God the Father has a role in this. God the Son has a role in this. God the Spirit has a role in this. They're all there. Now, skip forward a little bit to verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in what? Our image. So we have a triune God. Now, if you're new to Christianity, we believe we're we're monotheistic. We believe in one God, but we believe that one God has three persons. Figure that one out, okay? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, God created man in the image of himself, Trinitarian, the Godhead, all three. He, He created man in his image, after, he says, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish and the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth. Now, I brought you there because I want you to see that God created man to reflect his Trinitarian image. Okay, so whenever we have family and whenever we have marriage and when we have, whenever we have any kind of coming together of human beings, we are actually reflecting one of the most amazing things about our God, and that is that he is a trinity, that he is three in one. He made man in his image in order to reflect something about himself, and that is that God is known in three persons. It's really an amazing thing. So God is four roles. Roles are good. Roles actually serve to reflect the trinity of the Godhead, which is amazing. Now, I want to point out a few things about the Trinity, And we don't talk a ton about the Trinity because it's pretty confusing. It's pretty hard to get our heads around because it's God and he's big, okay? But I want to point out a few things about the role relationship within the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. How do they function with each other? Now, until heaven, we probably won't fully understand that, but the Bible gives us some clues, some glimpses into how they function with one another. One thing I want to point out is that w- the way they function is with complete equity of contribution what that means is when they do things each person of the trinity what they contribute matters it's not like god the father creates in in, in the son and the holy spirit whatever they're doing it's just kind of like not uh, it's not really important god the Father is like hey i'll create the universe and you know holy spirit you just kind of hang out and float above the water like no the, each, each person in the trinity has a specific role to play in how god rules and how god works Okay, this is how roles were created. They were created to where they have each have equal value in the way that they contribute. Now we see this in John chapter one, verse one through three. I'll throw that up on the screen for you here. It says this: In the beginning was the Word. Okay, who is the Word again? Jesus, the Logos. Right, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, so Jesus is not only with God, he is God. This is where we get our Trinitarian theology. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made, this is the part I want you to tune in to. All things were made through him, through who? Through Jesus. And without him was not anything made that was made. What is that telling us? It's telling us that God the Father didn't make anything without the Son. That means that the Father and the Son were equally important in in the creation of the universe. That's what that means. It means that, that the Son matters. That within the Godhead, every person of the Godhead contributes equally. Now, we see this in another way too, and that is in the way that God saves. When God saves, each person of the Trinity is contributing to that salvation. It says in the Bible that God the Father elects us okay, that he, he sort of is, is, is choosing us, and then God the Son is the one who atones for us or dies for us, pays for our sins, and then the Holy Spirit is the one who regenerates us, seals us, carries us through. So each person of the Trinity is, is, is doing something. Each person has a role to play in how God saves and how God creates. This is how God functions. Each person carries something, and each person carries something important, now, also, note that in the Trinity, not only does each person contribute something, but each person has equal value. God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. It's not as though the Father is more important and the Son is less important. It's not as though the Holy Spirit is less important because we hear about him less. Each person of the Trinity is equally important. This is how God designed roles. Okay? This is how God designed roles. Uh, take a look really quick at Colossians 1.15. I'll just put it up on the screen here. Colossians 1 15, it says, he being Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Listen, all things were created through him and what for him. So, so God didn't just create all things, but all the value belongs to God the Father. All the value equally belongs to God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. All three of them within the Godhead are equally important. All three of them have equal value. Now, here's a question for you. Why is it that within the Trinity, there's not jockeying for position? Why is it that God the Father is like, man, son always gets the attention, and the Holy Spirit's like, hey, what about me? I'm only in the Pentecostal churches, you know. I mean, what's the deal with that? Like, why isn't there more infighting between the Godhead about about who who's uh, you know getting more glory? Okay, I, I want to teach you two theological uh, terms here that that kind of unpack that. The first reason is is this this theological term, uh, which is really about an attribute of God, and it's it's this word called aseity. Can you guys say aseity? Aseity is an attribute of God that basically means that he is lacking nothing. He's lacking nothing. There's nothing in him that needs anything. He doesn't need something from you. Some people talk about Christianity as though God created humans because he was lonely. God created humans because he was lacking something. Oh, I just really wish I had a church to come and sing my praises on Sunday. I just can't wait. You know, like, no, God doesn't need us. He enjoys us. He loves us, but he doesn't need us. He has everything he needs within the three persons of the Trinity. Now, what that means is that there's no fighting within the members of the Trinity because they have nothing to fight over. There's, they don't need anything. You know why we argue with one another? Because we want something the other person has. That's why my kids get in fights, because my son takes a toy from my daughter, and then she is mad because he took something from her. God is not, God doesn't need anything. It's all God's. It's all his. There's, there's a name for this as well. Not, not, not only just that God has everything, but also that God is completely about himself through the members of the church. Tri- I know this is confusing, but think about this. Jesus in the garden in John 17, he says, Lord... Give me glory so that I can give you glory. Lord, glorify me so that I can glorify you. This is the way that the relationship within the Trinity works. The Father is all about just glorifying the Son. He's not thinking about glorifying himself. He's glorifying himself through the Son. And the Son is all about glorifying. It's this relationship. C.S. Lewis calls it this great dance in the Godhead, that God is glorifying himself through the other members of the Trinity. Now, what that tells us about roles is that in order for roles to function, roles have to be about each other. They have to be about the other person. They can't be about themselves. Now, not only in the Godhead is there equity in contribution, equity in value, but there's a great importance that we need to see about roles that we learn from the Godhead. First of all, I want you to think about this. The roles that we see here in Genesis between the man and between the woman, okay? That is before the fall. Okay, now let me, let me explain why that matters, okay? Because a lot of people say uh, the idea that a man is the head of his wife or that, that there is headship in, in the man and that a man has a role or that the idea that the woman, this is all biblical, that the woman is to be uh, is submitted to her husband, uh, people like to say that that's all because of sin. That's only because of sin. But that's not true. Before sin, what do we have? We have a God who is, exists with roles. A, a Godhead that, that each person has a specific role. And we see Adam and Eve created with specific roles. We see Adam as the head of his wife before sin even enters into the picture. How do we know that? Well, a few different ways. We know that, first of all, because when, when, when everything goes wrong, as we'll see, who does God come asking for? He comes asking for Adam. Well, but Eve was the one that blew it. doesn't matter. He is the head of his marriage. That means he takes responsibility. Now, also, before the fall, it says specifically, it refers to Adam and Eve together as man. It calls them man. Adam and Eve are called man. Why are they called man? Because Adam is the representative of his marriage. So roles were established, roles were good, roles were something that God had intended to be an intrinsic part of, human, uh, of humankind before sin even entered into the picture. It's important to understand that, okay? Now, let's move on through the text. Let's look at how roles get totally jacked up in chapter three, verse one, okay? Roles are good, man, is, man and women, just like God, man and women are both equal with specific roles, Okay? They're in, this, in the garden, in, in this perfect place, um, in this marriage that doesn't have any brokenness, and then roles get assaulted. Okay, Full-on frontal assault. Here it is, chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent, who was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made, said, to the woman. Now, notice that he's he's crafty, okay. And I don't. I think I've read Genesis three probably a thousand times, and I can't tell you. I, I always find something more crafty about how Satan totally deceives Adam and Eve. I mean, he's sly. There is so many. He knows just what buttons to push about our weakness as human beings. He knows exactly what to press on. Okay, so he's crafty. He doesn't come to Adam. He doesn't come to the head. He comes to the the, the woman. Why does he do that? First of all, because he's assaulting the role. He's assaulting the role. He he doesn't come to the leader. He comes to the one who who is to be led, instantly putting her into the position of the leader. He's he's putting her up and saying, hey, now you be the leader. Where's your husband? Doesn't matter. You, You make the call, okay? He's crafty. He said to the woman, did God actually say? In other words, can God really be trusted? Is God really... Did God really command you that you can't have this fruit? He said, did God really say that you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it. Which, as you guys probably know, God never said that. She added that. Legalism. There it is. Lest you die. Verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Okay, here's where Satan is assaulting roles. He's assaulting not only the role of of Eve to be submissive under her husband's leadership, he's also assaulting the role of Eve being submissive under God's rulership. Well, how so? Because he says, hey, you know, right now we are in this state where God is creator and you're creation and he's the boss and you are the created being. God doesn't want you to eat that fruit because he knows then you will be equal with him. He's he's tempting her to step out of her role as a submissive created being and step into the role of God. He's assaulting full on the distinction that God made for Eve to be a created being and to be subject to her head her husband Adam, full on. It's clear. Then you see the breakdown of roles in, in verse 7. Okay, so you know uh, she, she eats the fruit. Then the eyes of both were opened. They knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together, made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And, and the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees. Of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And here it is. Adam's got his moment to assume and assert his role as the head of his wife, the one who's supposed to take responsibility for what she does. Okay, Being the head of of your wife doesn't just mean that you get to be the boss. It means that you got to own her mistakes, even if it wasn't your fault. And here's his chance. Verse 12. It's time, Adam. Here we go. And what does he say? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit, and I ate. In other words, I let her be the boss. In other words, it's her fault. So you see immediately the breakdown of the role of Adam. Not only is Eve missing the boat on her job, which is to come ask her husband, hey, this snake is telling me all kinds of crazy stuff. Not only is Eve missing the boat on her role to be a created being, not creator, but here's Adam instantly stepping out of his role to lead his wife By dying to himself to cover her sin and saying, yeah, my fault, sorry, and instantly throws her under the bus. (laughs) Do you see how quickly something that God made that was so good, the distinction of roles within the man and within the woman, is shattered by sin. Completely shattered. It's full-on assaulted. Then God has some things to say about it. Look forward to verse 16. God then pronounces what the, the, the result of this sin is going to be. Okay, and, and, and I'm sure you've read this before, but I just want to point out a few things in here. God says, okay, so you've sinned. You've chosen to step out of my covering. You've chosen to no longer be in your role of created being. So let me tell you what the punishment is going to be. He says, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. We'll come back to that. And to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat. Of it all, the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, so on and so forth. Now I want you to point out something here. God is pronouncing specific cursing. Does it sound familiar to you? What was God's? It's called the cultural mandate. What was God's original command to Adam and Eve before sin? He said, go cultivate the earth, okay, work the ground. Work, work is not part of sin. Work, work was pre-fall. Okay, go uh, have sex and make babies, have family, multiply. So God said, "Work the ground and have family, multiply the earth." That was that was the cultural mandate before sin ever came in. Sin enters the picture, and God says, "Hey, you're going to go do the same exact thing, but now it's going to really be terrible. <laughs> now it's going to be really hard." He says, "Hey, Adam, you're still going to go work the ground, but guess what? The ground is going to be not going to be easy for you anymore. It's going to be full of thorns." and Thistles, and you're going to plant things, and they're not going to want to grow. And you're going to work by the sweat of your brow, and you're never going to be full, able to fully enjoy the fruit of your labor. And Eve, that mandate to go and to, to be fruitful and multiply and, and to cover the earth with, with little baby Adams and Eves, okay, that mandate now, still there, but it's going to be really hard. Childbirth is going to be the most painful thing you'll ever experience, it's going to be terrible. So, so part of the, the curse was work, part of the curse was family, but there's one other thing, did you notice? There's one other thing here that God specifically says is going to be broken in hard. He doesn't refute it, he still says, you gotta do it, it's still there, it still stands, is the way I've created things, but it's in a broken state, and it's right here in verse 16, in the second half. He says to the woman, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. He's saying this thing called roles here, the roles that I created you in, now that's going to be broken. And you're still going to have those, but it's going to be broken. Now, people argue all the time about how this should be translated. Um, The sort of the liberal side of, of Christianity, many of them are our brothers and sisters, but they would translate this verse to say, oh, that means that the only reason man is the head of his wife was because of the fall. And what that means is that now that Christ has come, if you're a Christian, you're free from that. So there's no headship within marriage. The man doesn't have to take responsibility to lead his wife. In fact, it's completely level. Okay, But I don't think that's how we're to read that. I think how we're to read that is this way. He says, your desire shall be for your husband. I think that's actually saying, and I'll tell you why in a minute. I think that's actually saying, your desire will be to rule over your husband. (laughs) Your desire will be to be the boss. Okay, Where am I getting that? Because in a couple chapters later, and we don't have time to go there, God says something very specific to Cain in regards to sin. He says to Cain, he says, Cain, sin is desiring you. It's desiring you. It's desiring to have its way with you, and it will rule over you. The Hebrew phrase mirrors this phrase exactly. It's almost as though Moses who wrote this was saying, hey, what, what, what God was saying about sin there with Cain and it ruling over him is exactly what, I'm, what God was saying here with Eve. In other words, part of the fall is not that roles are evil. Roles are good. But part of the fall is that now the woman will not like being in her role. She will not like it. And she will do everything by nature to try to be the boss. It mirrors what she did in the fall which was be the boss, make the decision, make the choice. You see that? So where does that leave us? Where does that leave us? It leaves us with roles being a good thing, but now being in a broken and a fallen state. Okay, that's kind of where it leaves us. Now, it it leaves the world in a different place than it leaves Christians, and let me explain what I mean by that. For the world, what that means is is that, that now we have thousands of years of history in which men have dominated women immorally, sinfully, which was never God's intent with roles, but we also have thousands of years of history where women have tried to dominate their men through manipulation or whatever means they possibly can. We have, we have a, a, a litany of brokenness within the marriage, within roles in general between men and women. For most of history, men were literally at the boss, called all the shots, had multiple wives and polygamy, did whatever they want, had concubines. That is mu- much of the history that we even see within the Bible. That was never God's intent for roles in marriage. That is the broken result of it. So for the world, what do they get? They get a broken version of something God made that was really good. That's what they get. Uh, what, el- what else does, does the world get? Um, the world also gets a principle. They get a principle that even though it's broken ultimately the reality is is that we are still meant to have a headship in a marriage. The problem is is that principles don't really matter as we'll get into principles don't really matter if you don't have the Holy Spirit, okay? That's just that's a reality. It also leaves the world with a stewardship. What I mean by that is it it, it leaves them with the fact that God is still expecting men to be men and lead their wives regardless of what happened at the fall. When I get before, stand before the Lord, and he says, why didn't you lead your wife? I can't say, well, it was broken. Everything got broken. Adam and Eve, they messed it up, so wasn't I off the hook now? No. Christian or non-Christian, you are held accountable to lead your wife. That is the way God designed it, and he didn't walk it back. He didn't change that. In Genesis 3, he doesn't say, hey, never mind on the whole roles thing, every man for himself. No, he says, still, your man, the, the man will rule over his wife. That's what it means for the world. What does it mean for you and I? What, is it, what does Genesis 1-3 uh, mean f- for you and I in regards to roles uh, in our relationships? Well, first of all, it's, it, it's a mandate for us that we are not to look like Adam and Eve in the way they modeled roles, but we are actually to model roles the way God had originally intended That we should look different in the way that we have roles within our marriage. But also, it means an opportunity for us to realize God's original intent for roles and relationship between a man and a woman. That, as I said at the beginning, we are to be different than the world. That we are to realize God's original intent and in the kingdom of God actually will be better than what he even did with Adam and Eve. We have an opportunity to show that roles are God's design and that they can be redeemed. And rather than the stereotypical marriage that we see in the world today, where the man dominates his wife or the wife dominates the man, we have an opportunity to actually illustrate what God had originally meant to do through the roles within a marriage. Now, how do we do that? How do we do that? And this is where I want to kind of land the theological plane here and and get a little bit into some practical things. Now, as the church, we are mandated to do this, okay? We're mandated to do this. Regardless of what you think about how Genesis 3 should be translated, um, you have a role to be the head, man, of your wife and to lead her. And wife, you have a role to submit to that leadership, And I want to unpack and clarify what that is. The question is, how do we do that? If everything is so broken, if rules are broken, how do we fix them as Christians? The first thing you need to do is you need to have the means to do so. Because, look at me, you can't do it without being given the means to do it. What I mean by that is, is... you could be If you're a non-believer and you say, I'm just going to live the biblical principle of roles in marriage. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, without the blood of Jesus Christ, you will fail. It still stands as a principle, but the only way we can truly fulfill it is to access the means of what the cross enables us to do. The power of the Holy Spirit. Marriage can only truly be done in a way that glorifies God when it is done based on the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay? it's not enough just for someone to say, hey, let's just live biblical principles. Some people in the world think that. If we just live biblical principles, we'll be good. No, you need to be reborn. You need to be born again. You need the Holy Spirit to empower you to actually be able to live out God's original design for roles in marriage. So, so number one, you need to access the means to, to actually be able to live this thing out. But secondly, you need to copy the example. Now, this is what's so significant about when Christ came. Okay? When Christ came, he not only died for our sins so that we could be forgiven, he also modeled something for us. He modeled a lot of things for us. One of the things that he modeled for us is how to exist within the roles of men and women, the roles of marriage. Okay? Um, take a look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. We'll, we'll spend the rest of our time in Ephesians. Moving into the New Testament now, It's no mistake that Paul spends time in most of his epistles addressing the issue of roles. And not just roles within marriage, by the way. Roles within all of society. Slaves, masters, children, parents, wives, husbands. He's very adamant about being clear in, in us as Christians understanding how to live within the role that God has placed us Whether that be CEO, or whether that be clerk, or whether that be secretary, whether that be uh, president of the United States, or whether that be postal worker. Whatever our title, whatever our role, God is very clear through the Apostle Paul in saying how we are to function within those roles. And he does exactly that in Ephesians 5 concerning marriage. Husbands, this is how you are to live in your role as the head of your wife, spiritual leader. Wife, this is your role, okay? And the way that he, he chooses to, to give us an illustration of that is saying, look at Christ. Look at how Jesus lived. If you look at how Jesus lived, you'll see everything that you need to know about how to live within your role. So Ephesians 5 verse 1 says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What Paul is saying is saying, in order to live in your roles, you have to to pretend like Christ. You You have to emulate Christ, imitate Christ, be like Christ, see how Christ led, see how Christ followed, see how Christ loved. So what I want to do now Look at Ephesians chapter 5. I want to speak to the husbands, and I want to speak to the wives, and then I want to speak to everybody, okay? Ephesians 5, 25 through 29. Let's start with the husbands. What is the role, okay? What is the role of the husband in this, what we call a complementarian view of, of, of of a relationship in marriage? What is the role of the headship of a man within the marriage? Paul speaks very clearly to it. Chapter 5, verse 25 through 29. Here's what he says. Husbands, you've heard this before. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. So there and again, there is our example that we'll be looking at. How are we to love our wives? We are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. There's that word holy again, that she might be set apart, different, other than the world. Okay, so so here is Paul in just a couple verses, and, and this is not the only place he says this. Here is Paul giving a quick summary of what the headship of the man in the relationship is to look like. Okay, now I just want to point out five things, because what he says is, he says that you are to love your wife, lead your wife, be the head of your wife, um, as Christ is to the church. Well, how does Christ lead his church? How is Christ the head of the church? That's our example. Okay, and we don't like that, because he's really good at it. And none of us are going to nail it perfectly, but this is our bullseye. This is what we aim for. Now, just a couple quick things to jot down about how Christ leads his bride. What it looks like to be the head of our bride. This is it. Number one, Christ leads his bride holistically. Christ leads his bride holistically. What I mean by that is Christ does not just say, my job in leading you, bride, is just to provide for you and then leave you alone which I actually think is the way a lot of guys think when they think of leading. Are you leading your home? Yeah, every, every day I work, and I, I provide and put food on the table. Okay, that's part of leading, but that is not all of what it means to be the leader the head of your household, the head of your marriage. That is not a holistic love. That would be like Jesus saying, okay, I'm going to love my bride, I'm going to love the church, so I'm just going to atone for sin, and then I'm never going to interact or do anything with the church again. I'm not going to show up on a Wednesday night through the Holy Spirit and actually interact. I'm not going to, to lead the church. I'm not going to speak to my people. I'm just going to be distant. That is not how Christ loves his church. Christ loves his church holistically. He approaches the church not just in terms of providing for his church, his bride. He approaches the bride emotionally. And maybe, maybe you're saying, yeah, but I'm just not, I'm not an emotional guy. Okay, uh, That's not true. That's not true. I was listening to Vadi Bakken the other day, and he was just totally making this hilarious. He said, oh, you, you he was talking about the guy that says, I'm not emotional. He says, oh, really? So when you're